So uh, we'll go ahead and uh, we'll begin with Gashel. Namo Amida Butsu, Namo Amida Butsu, Namo Amida Butsu, Namo Amida Okay, thank you very much for joining us. I was looking through my files and I see that uh, our first session we did Shoshinge like this was last year in September. <laughs> so this is the, the 13th uh, session and it's now been one full year that we've been uh, meeting each month uh, like this. And we've made it uh, through the first portion of uh, Shoshinge, the portion that is focused on the uh, larger sutra, um, primarily the larger sutra. Um, we call that section the, the section relying on the sutras. And again, it mainly refers to the larger sutra. And then uh, from today, we're getting into the section that's called the section relying on the commentaries. And um, this is uh, specifically focused on uh, seven teachers from India, China, and Japan. Uh, who we call the seven masters. And so I'll be briefly kind of doing an overview of them uh, this week. And then um, moving forward uh, next month, we'll be kind of getting into each of them um, has uh, a few verses of Shoshinge. So we'll be spending maybe uh, two or three months uh, with each of the seven masters, learning a little bit about their teachings and um, you know, for those of you who uh, were able to join, I think we did a session a few years ago on the seven masters, so we'll be able to revisit uh, some of those teachings and maybe uh, we'll uh, bring up some memories. So uh, at this time, I will uh, go ahead and share um, the handout that I have prepared for today. This is available on the uh, San Mateo Buddhist Temple website. And I'm also going to post it here in the chat uh, for you. So um, I think that, let me know if you have trouble opening up that file. Um, I can post a different link uh, for that. And then um, uh, that's, again, if you go to the temple website, uh, the top page, it's, it's there as well. And for those of you who uh, might be watching this as a recording following the session, uh, if you just scroll down the page, it's going to be there uh, on the temple website for your information. And I'll be doing a screen share now, um, so you can just follow along here. But if you wish to go back and review later, um, again, this is posted on the the temple website and will remain up for the foreseeable future. So do this. Okay. I think this will work. The last time I um, I recorded, I somehow when I started screen sharing, my picture disappeared. So the recording is the uh, handout and no, no, no me. You just hear my voice in the handout, which I, th I think is fine. But um, so I'm going to try to record it in a way that um, that my uh, my picture will be up there uh, as well uh, for folks to see. And then um, I have another monitor here so I can have folks in gallery view uh, as well um, uh, during the session. I, this, this computer I'm talking on is on um, speaker view. So again, just me being captured in the recording. So uh, I'll begin by reading this section of the Shoshinge, this verse 
that we'll be talking about today. The masters of India in the West who explained the teaching and treatises and the eminent monks of China and Japan clarified the great sage's true intent in appearing in the world and revealed that Amida's primal vow accords with the nature of beings. So this, uh, this section um, refers to the masters of India in the West and the eminent monks of uh, China and Japan. Um, and so these are uh, seven teachers uh, who, who are identified as, uh, Shinran identifies them as the, the Pure Land Masters. Um, the, we call them the seven masters in the Jodo Shinshu tradition. Other uh, Pure Land traditions have slightly different sets of, uh, of their kind of, they would consider to be their, their historical masters or uh, uh, you know, the important eminent te Dharma teachers of, from India, China, and Japan. Um, so if you study, for example, the Jodo Shu tradition, there's much overlap, but there are a few, a few differences um, in those. Um, but Shinran Shonin identified these, these, there's these seven teachers who will be uh, talking a little bit about uh, later on in this uh, evening session. First, I wanted to talk about the second part um, because this is the section that is refers to the uh, larger sutra. So again, um, much of the Shoshinge uh, is based directly upon the larger sutra. And I think as we read Shoshinge, one of the ways that we can read it and understand it uh, and uh, come to a deeper appreciation of its meaning is by looking at the sections of the larger sutra that Shinran Shonin is pointing us to in Shoshinge. So um, what I'd like to do uh, is to introduce this uh, portion from the Shinran's uh, important writing, The True Teaching Practice and Realization. It's also called the Kyogyo Shinsho. And the Kyogyo Shinsho is really a collection of uh, passages, many of them from the sutras, others from the commentaries, and the uh, Shoshinge, which we're studying in this series of talks, is uh, a portion of the, the true teaching practice and realization. You know, we might say it's a, a summary in verse of the important meaning and points of the uh, the Kyogyo Shinsho. And so I want to read this section from the beginning of the chapter on teaching. The chapter on teaching, um, this illuminates uh, this idea that the great sage's true intent in appearing in the world. So here it talks about the great sage. The great sage refers to Shakyamuni Buddha, the uh, teacher we refer to as the historical Buddha who lived in India. 2,500 years ago. So why did he appear in the world? Right? Shinran Shonin uh, points us to this truth that Shakyamuni Buddha appeared in the world uh, with the uh, intention of revealing the uh, Amida Buddha's primal vow and uh, teaching the larger sutra. And so uh, Shinran Shonin says, uh, 
in the beginning of the chapter on, on teaching, to reveal the true teaching. It is the larger sutra of the Buddha of immeasurable life. The central purport of this sutra is that Amida, by establishing the incomparable vows, has opened wide the Dharma storehouse and full of compassion for small foolish beings selects and bestows the treasure of virtues. The sutra further reveals that Shakyamuni appeared in this world and expounded the teachings of the way to enlightenment, seeking to save the multitudes of living beings by blessing them with this benefit that is true and real. Thus, to teach the Tathagata's primal vow is the true intent of this sutra. The name of the Buddha is its essence. Now, the name of the Buddha is Namo Amidabutsu. This, this name of the Buddha refers to uh, the reciting of, of the Nembutsu, reciting the Buddha's name. And so uh, for Shinran Shonin, uh, he looks to the seven masters to understand the meaning of why did Shakyamuni Buddha, what was his purpose in life? Why was he born into this world? Uh, from a traditional Buddhist perspective, the understanding is that uh, Shakyamuni Buddha was, um, prior to being born into this world, was dwelling in the Tushita heaven, the uh, very uh, high uh, level uh, sort of heavenly realm of existence, waiting for the circumstances, the causes and conditions to align so that he uh, could come into this world, waiting for the circumstance to be ripe for him to arrive and to teach the Dharma for the benefit of small, foolish beings, for, you know, the unenlightened beings. So, uh, he came into this world with this intention of teaching, teaching the Dharma and the specific teaching for which he appeared in this world was the, the larger sutra that Shakyamuni Buddha appeared in this world with the uh, express purpose of teaching the primal vow of Amida Buddha. And so, uh, then Shinran Shonin goes on to say, how is it known that this sutra was the great matter for which Shakyamuni appeared in the world? Saying, well, how do we know? How do we know that, that this is why uh, Shakyamuni appeared in the world? Oh, I'm going to break this up a little bit. There we go. Um, and uh, Shinran says, uh, the larger sutra states. And so here, uh, Shinran is quoting this, this whole section is uh, a quote from the, the larger sutra. Um, and this is the uh, opening, kind of the opening passage uh, of, of the larger sutra, or I should say the beginning of the conversation. So all sutras generally begin with these words, uh, thus I have heard. The world honored one was dwelling at such and such place, uh, in the company of such and such monks, and, uh, and it lists off all of those who are in attendance uh, on the occasion of the Buddha giving a teaching, that thus I have heard that I is Ananda. Ananda was the Buddha's uh, cousin. He was also the Buddha's constant companion. 
Uh, he heard all of the Buddha's teachings and he uh, remembered them perfectly. And so uh, this phrase, thus I have heard, is sort of a cue that Ananda is the one who has heard this teaching and it's a signal that this is an authentic teaching of the Buddha. And so um, this uh, larger sutra is, is interesting because uh, it's a conversation between the Buddha and Ananda. Oftentimes, the sutras are conversations between Buddha and other disciples, or perhaps not even uh, other, other monks or nuns. It could be you know, lay people. The Contemplation Sutra, which is another of our, our three Pure Land Sutras, uh, is a conversation between Buddha and uh, the Queen Vaidehi. But in this case, in the larger sutra, um, it's a conversation between Ananda and the Buddha. And so uh, Ananda begins by asking him, you know, he says, today, world honored one, your sense organs are filled with gladness and serenity. Your complexion is pure. Your radiant countenance is majestic, like a luminous mirror in which clear reflections pass unobstructed. Your lofty features are resplendent, surpassing all words or measure. Never before have I beheld your lineaments in, in as sublime as they are now. Indeed, great sage, I have thought to myself, today the world honored one abides in the Dharma most rare and wondrous. Today the great hero abides where all Buddhas abide. Today the world's eye abides in the activity of guide and teacher. Today the preeminent one of the world abides in the supreme enlightenment. Today the heaven honored one puts into practice the virtue of all Tathagatas. And so Ananda looks at the Buddha and he says, wow, you look great. You look amazing. You know, I've never seen you looking so wonderful. You know, I can tell just by looking at you something really special, you know, like sometimes you see someone and, you know, something really great happened and they're just smiling and you can tell they're really happy. And it's like, wow, what happened? You know, you look so happy. Um, and so Ananda notices this. Again, Ananda's always with the Buddha, but he notices on this one occasion, the Buddha looks different. He looks uh, exceptionally, exceptionally uh, luminous, exceptionally kind of shining with, uh, with this, this peace and um, with joy. And so uh, then Ananda says to the Buddha, he, he makes a kind of a statement or an observation. He says, the Buddhas of the past, future, and present all think on one another so that Buddhas are kind of mindful of other Buddhas. There's this, this practice of Buddha mindfulness that exists among Buddhas. So the Buddhas are thinking about, are mindful of other Buddhas at all times. And so Ananda asks the Buddha, do not you, the present Buddha, also think on all the other Buddhas now? Why does your commanding radiance shine forth with such brilliance? So Ananda is asking the Buddha, so is it the case that, isn't it true that right at this moment, you are thinking about all the other Buddhas, right? And, uh, 
why is it, you know, isn't that why you're, you look so great? Don't you look so wonderful because you're thinking about all these other Buddhas and rejoicing and uh, experiencing the joy of mindfulness and all these other Buddhas. And um, I find that the response of the Buddha to be very, uh, very compelling here. The Buddha asks him, uh, then the world honored one said to Ananda, did devas instruct you to ask this? Or do you inquire of my noble mean out of your own wisdom? Right? So the Buddha's asking him, it's like, did someone put you up to this? You know, that's a really good question. Uh, it's such a good question that I wonder if maybe some deva or divine kind of uh, heavenly being uh, came down and asked you, you know, you should ask the Buddha this question. And, and Ananda replies, he says, no deva came to teach me. I ask this myself simply from what I observe, right? So the Buddha's, uh, his countenance, the way that he looks is so wonderful that just by uh, observing that, then Ananda uh, is able to be moved to this question. Um, and so uh, the Buddha responds, he responds to him, well spoken, Ananda, your question is excellent. You ask this insightful question, having summoned up deep wisdom and true and subtle powers of expression and having turned tender thoughts to all sentient beings. So Ananda great, this is great, you know, good job asking a wonderful question. And the Buddha points out that this question comes from your concern for all beings. Ananda was uh, noteworthy among the Buddha's disciples because he did not attain enlightenment uh, during the Buddha's lifetime. All of the Buddha's other kind of major and prominent disciples uh, became enlightened while the Buddha was still in this world. But Ananda uh, is is a being like, like us, like me, who is not yet enlightened. So an unenlightened being. So when Ananda asks a question and when the Buddha engages in this dialogue with Ananda, that is, uh, he is, we can say that you know, in, a, in that sense, he's speaking to us, speaking to us. And so um, the and then the Buddha responds, in his boundless compassion, the Tathagata is filled with commiseration for the beings of the three realms. I have appeared in the world and expounded the teachings of the way to enlightenment, seeking to save the multitudes of living beings by blessing them with the benefit that is true and real. Rare is it to encounter and behold the Tathagata, even in countless millions of kalpas. It is like the blossoming of the Udambara, which seldom occurs. And so this, this is the, the, the I think, um, the important uh, kind of the essence of this exchange. The Buddha says, I have appeared in the world and expounded the teachings of the way to enlightenment seeking to save multitudes of living beings by blessing them with the benefit that is true and real. So at the start of the larger sutra, the Buddha proclaims his intention 
for appearing in the world. He says, I came into this world to teach the way to enlightenment so that all the living beings, all the suffering beings can realize liberation. That's why, that's why I'm here. And so the fact that the Buddha makes this statement at the start of the larger sutra um, is taken by Shindan and uh, you know, the other seven masters to indicate that this is the teaching that the Buddha appeared in this world uh, to provide uh, for, for us, for those unenlightened beings who are uh, mired in suffering. And so, um, and then it's, it's rare to encounter and rare to behold a Tathagata, even in countless millions of kalpas. It's, it's, a, it's a rare experience to get to uh, meet a Buddha. The Tathagata is another name for Buddha. And then it talks about this Udambara flower, which is a flower that's you know, sell, said to bloom uh, very rarely, you know, maybe once, once every hundred years or even once every thousand years, uh, it blossoms. So to see this flower is a truly rare experience and to hear the teaching of the Buddha is, is the same way. This question you now ask will bring immense benefit. It will enlighten the minds of all humans, uh, all devas and uh, human beings. Know, Ananda, that the perfect enlightenment of the Tathagata is immeasurable in its wisdom and vast in its guidance of beings to enlightenment. His insight knows no impediments. Nothing can obstruct it. So um, this exchange uh, with the Buddha and Ananda at the start of the sutra, this is kind of the, the clue that says this is why the Buddha came into to this world to teach this. Um, this teaching of the primal vow. The primal vow, uh, I'll just scroll back up again. As Shinran indicates, is that, that the, uh, so Shakyamuni Buddha appears in this world to teach the larger sutra. That's why he came into the world. That's the teaching he came to teach. And what is the point of the larger sutra? It's the primal vow, the uh, Amida Buddha's vow to liberate all sentient beings. From, uh, from suffering in the cycle of death and rebirth. Okay. So, um, so that's, that is the uh, scriptural passage that this second portion of the verse uh, is based upon, the great sage's true, true intent in appearing in the world um, and revealed that Amida's primal vow accords with the nature of beings. And so for Shinran Shonin, you have the larger sutra. The sutra is kind of the basis of our understanding. And this is true in all Buddhist schools, that uh, each Buddhist teaching is based on one of the, the sermons provided by the Buddha, one of the Dharma talks. And so each Buddhist tradition picks you know, one or a set of these Dharma talks from the Buddha and says, this is you know, the important uh, meaning for us, for those who follow our specific uh, Buddhist tradition. And so for those who follow the Pure Land tradition, they choose this larger sutra. And then since the you know, early days of the Buddhist tradition in India, through China, through Japan, uh, at each point in time, uh, there have been uh, important teachers who have uh, clarified the meaning of the teachings, and over time uh, have, have made it uh, more clear for people living in, in our time. 
So those are the, the masters of India uh, and the eminent monks of China and Japan. So, uh, and their teaching is in, in treatises, in, in these commentaries that they composed. So um, I'm now going to scroll down a little bit. Um, here's a, a Wasan hymn uh, from Shinran Shonin that, that reflects that same meaning of the fundamental intent of the Tathagata. So I provide this you know, for your reference. But uh, at this point, I want to shift gears and just spend a few minutes introducing um, the seven masters. Um, so there are two, two, two masters in India. Um, one is uh, Nagarjuna, uh, who lived about uh, 150 to 250 uh, CE. And uh, Nagarjuna, his important uh, treatise that he composed uh, was the Discourse on the Ten Stages. And from the Pure Land perspective specifically, we call the chapter on easy practice. And uh, Nagarjuna, he situates a devotion to Amida Buddha within these 52 stages of Bodhisattva practice. So there's uh, in Mahayana Buddhism, there's this idea that um, there's kind of like a stepladder that one can go uh, up to attain enlightenment. Uh, gradually going through these 52 stages um, to arrive at this high level of uh, enlightenment. Um, but that's, it's also, Nagarjuna also clarifies that for those who are unable to kind of make it up this stepladder uh, of difficult practices, there's also the easy practice of entrusting in Amida Buddha. So for those who uh, who are unable to do the 50, to proceed through the 52 stages, that by entrusting in Amida Buddha, they're able to uh, receive that same benefit. And so Nagarjuna's important contribution is this idea of difficult practice versus easy practice. Okay. Uh, then um, about 300 years later or so, um, we have uh, Vasubandhu. Vasubandhu uh, composed the treatise on the Pure Land, um, and he provides a commentary on the longer Pure Land Sutra, what we call the larger sutra, from the perspective of the consciousness-only school of Mahayana Buddhist thought. So uh, Vasubandhu uh, is famous for um, this, his commentaries and writings uh, on this this kind of consciousness only uh, perspective of Buddhism. And uh, he also um, was uh, a, a devoted to the Pure Land path. And Nagarjuna's, or sorry, Vasubandhu's important contribution is emphasis on the single mind of, of entrusting. So that it's through this uh, single mind that we, we call Shinjin that one is able to. Uh, to attain awakening. And uh, Shindan Shonin, uh, his name, uh, Shindan, the, the character Shin comes from uh, this uh, Tenjin Bosatsu is, is the, the Japanese name for Vasubandhu. So he takes one of the kanji from Vasubandhu's name as expressing his, his real appreciation for Vasubandhu's teachings. So then um, Vasubandhu and uh, Tanluan, the next one is China. So we're sort of jumping from India to China. 
But if you think about it, if you look between Nagarjuna and Vasubandhu, there were about 300 years, but with um, uh, Vasubandhu and Tanwan, they almost overlap, you know, possibly by just a few years, they were, you know, uh, Tanlan was born kind of towards the end of Vasubandhu's life. So they never, you know, they never met, but they were close enough in time, right? That the kind of the latest teachings coming into China from India um, were uh, then that Tanlan was, was reading these, these writings of Vasubandhu and was uh, when he received the Chinese translation of Vasubandhu's treatise, uh, you know, he was so moved that he uh, composed a, an extensive commentary on this treatise. And um, what Tan Luan sets out to do in this commentary is to kind of uh, reconcile uh, Nagarjuna's teachings on difficult and easy practice um, uh, with Vasubandhu's kind of process-oriented consciousness-only perspective. So he's sort of these two giants of the Mahayana tradition, uh, and he tries to sort of uh, bring them bring them together. He succeeds in showing how their teachings are, are kind of compatible. And uh, Tan Luan's important contribution is the distinction between self-power and other power, okay? Um, then, uh, then uh, we have Dao Chuo. Dao Chuo. So if you look at Dao Chuo, he was um, you know, also just a little after Tan Luan, you know, maybe 20 years after Tan Luan, then Dao Chuo was, was born. Um, and he uh, composed a treatise called the Paradise Collection. And this uh, teaching, or Andakushu, describes how uh, Amida's Pure Land was a fulfilled land where both sages and ordinary beings could receive the same birth and benefits in the Pure Land. And he emphasized the recitation of the Nembutsu as a way for ordinary beings to attain birth. So Dao Chuo, uh, you know, he was um, significant in emphasizing this practice of reciting the name uh, of Amida Buddha. And his important uh, contribution from the Jodo Shinshu perspective is clarifying the difference between what we call the path of sages and the Pure Land Gate, the path of uh, difficult practices and um, you know, for kind of uh, very high aptitude individuals and the Pure Land Gate, which is really available to everyone. Now, uh, Dao Chuo and Shan Dao were among the seven masters, the only two who actually uh, knew each other, who uh, Shan Dao was a student of, of Dao Chuo's. And so um, they, they did have this, uh, this close connection. Um, and so uh, Shan Dao was significant for uh, clarifying how the Nembutsu teaching was provided express, expressly for the salvation of beings burdened with evil karma based on these, he has these nine classes of beings that are found in, in the Contemplation Sutra. And so prior to Shandao, uh, a lot of people you know, in China at the time looked at the Pure Land teaching 
as a kind of like second class, second rate <laughs> Dharma teaching. They said, this is the second rate teaching for kind of second rate people, people who can't do the real and true practices, they can settle for the Pure Land teaching, um, but it's not really uh, a, a truly, um, what would we say, you know, uh, beneficial teaching. It's only uh, something that a person would take as a kind of uh, a second choice. And Shandao turns that completely on its head and says, no, the Pure Land teaching expresses the compassionate heart of the Buddha because the Buddha is so marvelous in his concern for all beings that he wishes to include everyone in the path to awakening. And so, um, so this Pure Land teaching is actually um, the most wonderful teaching provided by the Buddha because it's something that, uh, that specifically provides a path to awakening for uh, evil beings, those who are burdened with evil karma. It has the power to uh, overcome uh, you know, the, the, the evil karma uh, that people have accumulated over countless lifetimes. And so Shandao's way of reading the Contemplation Sutra uh, is really kind of through the lens of, of the 18th vow uh, found in the larger sutra. Okay, and then finally getting into Japan. Um, so you can see there's a, there's a good gap of about 300 years between Shandao and then uh, Genshin, who is the, the sort of the prominent uh, of the, the seven masters from Japan. And Genshin composed a text called The Essentials for Birth, or the Ojo Yoshu. And uh, this Ojo Yoshu includes very detailed uh, ritual instructions for uh, like deathbed nembutsu practice. So the idea that uh, when someone is, is dying and on their deathbed, uh, Genshin provides kind of clear instructions for what that person could do and how they could be supported uh, in that, in that uh, time of passing to realize uh, birth in the Pure Land. And this became very, this was very powerful. Genshin was, you know, really remarkably influential. Uh, Dharma teacher in his time, um, because these deathbed practices really took off among the elite kind of aristocratic members of society in Japan. Everybody was aspiring for birth in the Pure Land and trying to follow Genshin's instructions. Genshin was very popular with um, the uh, elite uh, aristocratic and nobility uh, circles, but he himself kind of shunned that attention and uh, was really dedicated to uh, his, his Buddhist practice. Um, and it said that his mother at one point admonished him not to, um, not, not to be so uh, you know, caught up, get caught up in this attention from the, um, from the sort of wealthy and powerful people of his time. And for the Jodo Shinshu perspective, Genshin's important clarification is um, the, the idea that the pure land of Amida Buddha is a true and fulfilled land, uh, as opposed to a provis provisional transformed land. So again, this is sort of along the lines of, um, you know, what uh, Shandao addressed. You know, people had been saying, 
that uh, well, the pure land of Amida Buddha is not it's not a, a, a true world of enlightenment. It's just a sort of a stepping stone along the way to something better. And Genshin clarified that no, the pure land of Amida Buddha is the world of enlightenment and is a, a true and fulfilled land. It is a, a, a wonderful goal uh, in and of itself, the path to awakening. And then um, finally, we get to Honen. And Honen was uh, Shinran's direct teacher. Shinran had a, a close uh, personal connection with Honen until they were uh, separated um, when uh, Shinran was, and Honen, all of Honen's disciples were sent into exile uh, in the year 1207. So you can see close to the end of uh, Honen's life, uh, Honen, Shinran, and uh, uh, many other leading disciples were, were sort of scattered uh, because of uh, a suppression of the uh, Pure Land teaching. And Honen's important contribution in Japan was to really clarify the single practice of the Nembutsu as the means for birth in the Pure Land. So there were many other things that <clears throat> a person might do, many other means to uh, attain awakening, but the uh, recitation of the Nembutsu, Honen taught, this single practice is the way to attain birth in the Pure Land. So um, there's a little kind of crash course in the, the seven masters there. Um, and again, over the, you know, the next um, you know, coming months, we'll explore each of these in depth, but I wanted to provide this sort of overview, this big picture of the seven Pure Land Masters. And again, I'll post this recording uh, on the uh, temple website for folks to kind of go back and review and to kind of get the big picture. But this, this verse um, that we, we are looking at uh, today, introduces this section. So the remaining portion of the Shoshinge, which is about, oh, maybe two thirds of the Shoshinge is dedicated to these seven masters and going through each of their teachings. So um, we'll, I'll read this verse uh, one more time and then we'll uh, switch off the recording and I'll welcome any questions or discussion that folks might have. The masters of India in the West who explained the teaching and treatises, and the eminent monks of China and Japan clarified the great sage's true intent in appearing in the world and revealed that Amida's primal vow accords with the nature of beings. Namang Gavitsu, Namang Gavitsu, Namang Gavitsu.